How does any parent cope when the doctors tell you that your daughter has an 8% chance of survival of living more than five years? Michael Schnabel heard that devastating news that left him weak and defenseless until he formed a support group to move forward in an effort to save her life. On Never Ever Give Up Hope, Michael is going to share that story with us today. Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. In each person's life, there are events that forever change their course. 27-year-old Stephanie experienced two of these events in a matter of 14 days. The birth of her only child and the discovery that she only had an 8% chance of living. She is haunted by the thought that this baby will only know her through pictures until she makes that mental image her motivation to survive. Welcome, Michael Schnabel. Thank you, Carol. I'm glad to be talking with you today, and thank you for inviting me on your program. I love the name of your book, Daddy's Girl. Right there, you got me. (laughs) (laughs) Daddy's Girl, a father, his daughter, and the deadly battle she won. So start from the beginning and tell us your story. Well, it's really my daughter's story. And um, as you had mentioned earlier, uh, she was pregnant with her uh, only child and things are going smoothly through the first trimester. And then the second trimester, we started seeing some uh, problems that were showing up. Uh, There was some bleeding and some cramping and some different things that were going on. But unfortunately, uh, because of uh, the type of symptoms that she had, we really couldn't do anything invasive because they were afraid that they would affect the baby and uh, possibly put her into um, early labor. And so we just kind of waited and hoped and tried to take care of our daughter as well as we could. She was uh, in and out of the hospital seven or eight times before she gave birth. And when she gave birth, we had a healthy, great baby boy, um, a wonderful young man, a wonderful baby, perfect in every way, just like every grandparent uh, would see this little child. And so we were very, very excited, elated. All of the pain had gone away. We thought that we had all the worst behind us. And then two weeks later, after two weeks of normal life with a baby, uh, we were able to go ahead and do some more 
uh, testing and they found out that um, she had cancer. Oh, uh, she not only had cancer, she had uh, what they called carpet polyps and uh, which meant that is you took a look at the inside of her colon it was like looking over a shag carpet there were so oh, many my word. thousands of polyps and uh, masses and such and the doctor that uh, the surgeon that we uh, talked with then uh, said that uh, he couldn't believe that she even survived let alone growing a baby while uh, this was going on so as we went ahead and went through that devastating news of this uh, wonderful high of a new grandchild uh -huh. and finding out that uh, she had this devastating disease, uh, we went into shock. Uh, the first night when we got the diagnosis, um, we were standing around and each of us, uh, by that I mean in the room we had myself, my wife Colleen, um, Stephanie, that's my daughter, and then her husband Mark as well as the new uh, newborn baby boy, Caden. And I looked around and saw that we were all just struggling, that we didn't know what to say, we didn't know what to do, we were all in shock. Huh. My business experience had taught me that when you come up against an obstacle and a challenge, you shouldn't waste time reacting to it, you really need to start acting upon it. Say that and again, say that again, that's impactful. Yeah, well, I think that oftentimes when something happens to us, we move into shock and we move into reacting. And the fact is reacting really doesn't help us much. It's very normal and it's it's normal to do that, but we need to look at limiting the amount of time that we do reacting and start putting a plan together to overcome the challenge, whatever it is. Because just the fact that you start moving forward and just the fact that you start putting together a plan starts making you feel better. Hmm, interesting, go ahead. So that's what I did. I went ahead and stood up and I said, we are going to fight this. We are not going to accept the fact that this is going to be the end. We're going to be with you uh, at, at every point with this. And I'm talking to my daughter, but I'm talking to the room also. Of course, of course. Because she was scared to death and she was scared of dying. But more importantly, she was scared of this newborn baby growing up without a mom and that fact that he would never know her or only know her through pictures. And so you know what it's like to be faced with something that's scary. Uh, let's say a bully comes up against you and you don't know what to do. And then all of a sudden someone else comes up and puts their arm around you and says, hey, you're not alone. We're going to fight this together. And that's what we did that first night. We formed a team. We call it the team of five. And uh, we told, we promised Stephanie that we would take her to the best physicians we could find in the world. We promised her that she would never be alone in this, Aww. ever. We would sleep with her in the hospitals. We would take care of her. We would hold her when she wouldn't, wasn't able to stand on her own. And that gave us the first start of some smiles, the first start of Aww. some belief that we could go ahead and move forward with that. And then my daughter asked me uh, the toughest question that um, I've ever had been asked. Oh. She said, Dad, am I going to die? And with tears running down my cheeks, I told her the truth. I don't know. And I struggled with that answer for a very long time because I wasn't sure if I should be saying, oh, yeah, we're going to beat this and all that. But my daughter and I are incredibly close. And we've also, we, that, that closeness is built on respect mm -hmm. and the fact that we have always told each other the truth, exactly. that we've always confided each other. Mm -hmm. 
And so she did tell me eventually that that was the right answer, as difficult as it was. And uh, so then after that, we started the healing process by moving forward. That night, we met with a surgeon who helped us quite a bit. Uh, we spent two hours with him. He went through the possibilities, said we needed to get this cancer out of there. He wanted to remove her colon, but he wasn't sure what he was going to find out uh, once he got inside. Uh, this was happening 12 hours later after we were meeting him. Uh, it was scary because we felt all of a sudden we knew the odds were against her, and we felt all of a sudden every decision that we made could be the decision that would either save her or not. And so he was gentle with us, he was kind with us, and we moved forward with that. And the next morning then she had her colon uh, removed, all except for a few inches, so they could go ahead and reattach the small intestine so she didn't need a bag and uh, have a little bit more of a normal lifestyle. Oh, wow, what a blessing that was. It really was, because he went through four different options, and the final option he said is he said, there may be so much cancer there that I may just need to go ahead and close her up, and there's nothing that we can do. So we were really up and down and up and down and, and dealing with all of the emotion. And then the next day, um, he was able, he and two other surgeons went in and did their work and uh, said that it turned out as well as they possibly could. Uh, they removed uh, the vast majority of the colon, sold her back up, and talked to us about the fact that she needed to be seeing oncologists and that we need to continue to move forward. So that was the beginning of what we started going through. A little more background on myself, I worked for a pharmaceutical company for about 34 years, and my wife was an RN, uh, or is an RN, and worked for 35 years. And so we were not unaccustomed to being around physicians right, right. and medical personnel. But to be very honest with you, we didn't have a clue what to do next. Hmm. And the only suggestion that we were given is you need to find an oncologist. And so we started searching. And uh, through that uh, search, um, there were several people that we met with that we didn't feel was a good fit for my daughter. She was 27. She was healthy beyond the cancer. We needed someone that was going to be very aggressive with this and treat her uh, with the most aggressive therapy that they could do to save her life. And we were running into physicians that had algorithms set the same thing for a 27-year-old that it would be for an 85-year-old. Right. And uh, that wasn't what we were looking for. We searched and went to two different um, uh uh, world-known uh, medical centers, cancer research centers. The first one we found some answers at, but it still wasn't a good fit. And then finally, we found two places that we could go ahead and move forward. One was the University of Kansas uh, Medical Center here in Kansas City, and they were going to go ahead and deliver all the chemotherapy, and then the Mayo Clinic uh, in uh, Rochester, Minnesota. So we had two oncologists, and we put together a dream team that started us moving forward. Now tell us what was going on with your daughter at this point, emotionally, physically, in every way. In the beginning, she crumbled. We all did. And we didn't know what to do. We didn't know what to say. And then slowly, we started talking. And we talked about the importance of, uh, I basically said that first night. I said, honey, I said, there's no rules in this. You can do anything that you want. You can scream, you can yell, you can throw things, you can say this isn't fair because it isn't. And I said, you can go ahead and do anything that you can. But tomorrow we're having surgery. Tomorrow you're having surgery. And tomorrow you need to start fighting for your life. And through the tears, she gave me a smile. And I asked her if she would promise me that. And she said, yes. 
And that was the slow transition that she went through from becoming a victim to becoming a warrior. And if you don't think that having a, a baby, you know, they talk about don't getting in uh, between a, a mama bear and her cub. <laughs> uh, if you don't think that that wasn't motivation enough to go ahead and live for this baby, she just started to bloom and she started to become a warrior. And she said, okay, I'm done feeling sorry for myself. I'm gonna fight this with everything that I've got. And we stumbled along the way and we had a lot of difficult times. We had, uh, she was faced with death uh, multiple times um, as we went through this, but she continued to get strong. She continued to insist on the most aggressive chemotherapies, the most aggressive surgeries. And over a four year period of time, we had a lot of ups and downs. There were two different times we had to rush her to the emergency, once for a blood clot, once for sepsis. In each of those two cases, oh we were told that if she wasn't, uh, if we wouldn't have gotten her there when we did, she would have been mm -hmm. dead in four hours. Uh, and one thing that surprised me was the amount of faith that we had. Because like the example with these um, two ER visits, in the beginning, we thought, oh, my God, why is this happening? You know, what would have happened if we hadn't gotten there? And slowly our perspective changed. Our perspective changed in the way that we said, but we did get there in time. God <laughs> was looking out for us. And I think that that is really something that's very critical for people to understand is your attitude and, the, and your perspective and the way you look at things. Because if you look for bad and if you look for garbage in that's this right. life, you're going to find it. But if you look for the good, you can find that also. So I want you to explain in a little more detail the fight. What I would like to know for you to describe the fight, the fight for each of you individually, whatever you want to share, and her fight. And you also mentioned attitude, which I think is a major part of fight. What made her fight different than maybe somebody else's? What stimulated you to continue to fight? Or what was the motivation here besides just life in general? You know, in the beginning, we weren't sure what to do. And we did form a team around my daughter. And then as we formed that team, uh, the team was built on love. I mean, this was okay. my daughter. What wouldn't I do for her? What wouldn't my wife do for her? What would her husband not do for her? We would do anything that we possibly could. And that's what we promised her. And so then we started putting together a plan because I knew that we had to act on this. And in the beginning, the plan was simple. Are we going to do this surgery? Uh, is this the right surgeon? And we started looking into the physician. We, uh, we talked to other physicians. We talked to some nurses on the floor. We tried to do everything that we could in taking, getting our resources that we had available to us to go ahead and start working for us. Mm -hmm. As we started to then meet with oncologists after the first surgery, that first surgery really drew us together and took us from this bottomless pit we felt, we were, we felt that we were falling into. When we had the surgery and the, and the doctor said that he had removed most of the, col the cancer and the colon, we first saw our uh, glimpse of hope, I guess, in moving forward because he said he's removed all the surgery that he thinks is there and we now can go ahead and start moving forward with the healing process. 
There were some spots on the liver that were noticed before the surgery, and he saw them also, and he didn't think that was much of a deal. But they would become a big deal as we went to oh, the wow. first research that we saw. Um, they went ahead and decided that they needed to take a closer look, went ahead and took some samples, and found out that the spots in the liver were cancerous also. And that's what took her from stage three to stage oh. four. And with liver involvement, where the spots were, it was a little bit confusing because uh, they couldn't just cut one lobe or the other. They were in multiple spots. And so it was decided that she would go through chemotherapy in the beginning and maybe go through six rounds, see if they could shrink those tumors that were in the liver and then be able to move forward. Throughout this, we were all struggling individually. And I mean, every one of us broke down. We cried. We held on to each other. And we're a very, very close family. And I think just that dynamic kept us moving forward, the love that we had for each other. And uh, I don't know what we would have done, you know, as I started putting this story together. Uh-huh. And maybe, maybe that's something I should mention. When my daughter said that first night, I can't believe that I may die and this baby is never even going to know me. And so as her father, I thought, what can I do about that? Right. And so the next day I started a journal and I started recording Hmm. everything that I could that we were going through day by day, the emotions that we had, uh, the things we were sharing with each other, the steps we were taking, because I wanted this child to know her about my daughter's courage, her strength and how hard she was working and aggressively hard she was trying to do everything that she could to stay alive and be his mom. And I thought if nothing else, if we did lose her, he would at least have this journal Mm. to go ahead and let her know how hard she, she worked. And it was a gift of love from me to my daughter and to my grandson, but it also came back to me and helped me because just taking the issues that we were dealing with and parking them in a word file helped me from keeping them all running around in the middle of my head. And so we talked every night. We talked all the time. As soon as she was out of the hospital after the surgery, uh, she and her husband and the child moved in with my wife and I into our home. And we were together for uh, probably nine months, something like that, that they Uh. just lived with us. We told them we would take care of all the bills. They didn't need to worry about that. All they had to do is worry about taking care and moving forward, taking care of each other, taking care of their baby and believing that they're going to win this cause because belief is so incredibly important. And we prayed a lot together. We talked about the importance of faith in our lives. And I I may have said this earlier, but I I couldn't believe how strong our faith was. And I don't think you ever know until your faith is really tested. And we were really tested and tested over and over again. Uh, As we found the dream team, then we really felt that we put these, uh, the oncologist that we had here in Kansas City, uh, Joaquin Miranda, was amazing. She was a parent. She was young and she wanted to go ahead and be aggressive with this. And she she put together a chemotherapy program, uh, unlike the other physicians we talked to that said we'd come in for an hour and a half or two hours and get the chemo. That she put together a chemo program that lasted seven to eight hours. Oh my goodness. And because of that, she did it slow. She did a lot of other additional uh, uh, products that she was giving to my daughter to try and stem the side effects. And then when we left, 
she had uh, a chemo pump that was still pumping chemo for the next 48 hours and we would remove it at home. So she went ahead and, and put together a regimen that she felt would be more aggressive, stronger, and yet more tolerable. And that's what she did for us. And she was, like I said, a mom. And every time we'd go to chemo, they gave us the big room. Now the big room <laughs> had a chair in it and it had a, a bed because we always had the baby with her. And the baby uh, took some time uh, or took up space and, and they always uh, treated us very special. In fact, we'd get there and one of the nurses would take the child, our, our baby boy, and uh, they'd have to get their baby fixed. They'd walk around and uh, uh, everybody would share. And it was it was like they made us feel so welcome. It was a healing place. And, oh, and it was it was very, very special and it was very mm. unique. And we were fortunate with that. As we started going together, uh, going forward after the six rounds of chemo, there were a lot of side effects that started showing up. And again, my daughter was would tell us about the side effects, the neuropathy, the problems with the uh, cold hands uh, that still last to this day. She's now in her 40s. Uh, this uh, happened 17 years ago. And uh, she still has issues with the cold and some of the side effects, the blood clot and such, but she's alive. And that's, that's, right. the, that's the prize that's that right. we got. After four, uh, about four years, uh, when we first went to Mayo, our oncologist said that he would never be able to tell her that she was cured. But then after four years, he came in and he said, I consider you cured. And yeah. we, could, we couldn't believe it. I mean, we just could not believe it because he had told us he never would tell us that. And then he said, Mike, I know that you've been recording this uh, journal for your grandson. Would you please do me a favor and make your story public? Because one of the biggest problems that I've got or one of the biggest resources that I need to supply to my patients is hope. And it's one of the most difficult things to do. And Stephanie's story provides hope for others. So please make it public. And so that's what we ended up doing. But as we went through this, there were a lot of ups and downs. There was a lot of good news followed by bad news. But in every case, we felt that in the darkest times, we felt that God came through for us and gave us the best possible outcomes. And so we fed off of that. We fed off of that belief and that hope that we were going to go and accomplish this. And we just kept moving forward. And um, it's funny because after she was cured and after everything was positive and we no longer saw any cancer or any other problems, so many of uh, the people around us, the friends, the relatives, strangers, were opened up and were, po and were honest with us and said we really didn't think she was going to make it. But that was something that the five of us, at least the four of us, I'm not sure what the baby thought, but the four of us <laughs> really never gave in to we never would accept the fact that she was going to die. We always, even when we were told that this does not look good, we always thought she was going to be the exception. And I think that belief helped boost each of us. And we truly believed it. And we would have been devastated if we lost her. But fortunately, we didn't. Thank you. That was awesome. I, I was right there with you and listening to this story. We're going to take a very short break. And then I'm, when we come back, I'm going to ask you a question that's been running through my mind. And I'm assuming it probably is to the listeners as well. We'll be right back. 
Carol Graham would like to show you the path from misery to miraculous triumph in her fast-paced memoir, Battered Hope. She relates her determination to succeed as someone who experienced one horrendous nightmare after another. Gang raped and left for dead, loss of a child, husband falsely imprisoned, and cancer. Nothing could break her tenacity or faith. No matter what you face, heartache, loss, suffering, or injustice, Carol will illustrate how she became a victor the same way you can. The secret is to never, ever give up hope. Order your copy at Amazon or batteredhope.blogspot.com. Thank you so much for what you have shared your story already, Michael. This has been touching in every way, emotionally, spiritually, um, it, uh, just <laughs> as I said at the top of the show and before I interviewed you that I often uh, lose even my train of thought because I get so wrapped up in your story and that's what I am today and I know the audience is as well. And as we're listening, there are questions and one of them that I want to ask that I feel that a lot of people need to hear and that is when you were going through this, days, weeks, months, years, you had to combat negativity in your thoughts and the thoughts of people or the expressions of people around you. How did you combat that negativity and what did you replace it with? Yeah, that's a really good question. In the beginning, I think looking at my daughter's face and seeing the fear, I knew I had to be strong for her. And so we put on a brave face. And then after that, I think she learned from that and she started doing it also. Oftentimes, Stephanie was the strongest person in our team. And she just really believed that she was going to survive and that she had to survive for this child. And that's another point that I probably haven't talked very much about that I should. This newborn baby was a gift to us. And you wouldn't think if you were fighting cancer that that's what you want as a two-week-old baby, premature baby. But the fact is, is this child turned out to be an oasis for us because he was oblivious to everything that was going on. <laughs> he had giggles. He had smiles. He would reach out for us. And those things recharged us. Wow. And we really found that he was an oasis for us to escape all of the fear, all of the uh, crying, all of everything. And so between my daughter and my grandson, I think they set a very good example for us all to follow. We all broke down. We all had our tough times. But because we were a team, oftentimes the other members would come and help us back up and would hold us and would uh, hug us. And, uh, you know, a team of five is so important to have that support team around uh, Stephanie because she was fighting for us, too. And she couldn't let Good herself point. get down. Uh-huh. She, she needed to go ahead and be strong. And the days that she wasn't, we were strong for her. And uh, we talked about positive things. You know, we tried to search for things that would, would be positive. Yeah. And one of the things that amazed me is is when we first found out from the first uh, 
We probably talked to five different oncologists. We were at two world-renowned uh, cancer research centers. And each place we said, could you give us a guidebook? Could you give us something that would help us that would sure. kind of, you know, give us some rays of hope? And we didn't, none of them knew anything. None of them had suggested anything. They said they didn't know of any resources that they, they could go ahead and point our direction. Eventually we found Chicken Soup for the Cancer Soul. And uh, that book was just a bunch of short stories of uh -huh. people that had overcome cancer. And so we tried to, we went through, we all read the book. We got multiple copies for it and took it to our cancer centers and said that they should have it on their, in their waiting rooms. And um, we found then some stories of hope of people overcoming all odds and things like that. And then we just believed you know, through our faith, through our prayers, that Stephanie was going to go ahead and, and overcome this. And every time something positive happened, we we celebrated. Little wow. things, didn't matter yes. what it was. Hey, we went in and we got checked in and they pronounced her name right because her last name is File and it was pronounced uh, incorrectly a lot of times. And she'd turn around and she'd say, hey, they got my name right. It's going to be a good day. So we really... Mm -hmm. looked for and created positive things in our life to go ahead and try and be as positive as we could. And we we really did celebrate the little things. It's another day. It's another thing. Hey, it's almost the end of this uh, chemo session. You're going to, in two, three days, you're going to start feeling stronger again. It's going to be better. Every little thing that we could, we, we, we did. And we had a lot of people around us that helped us. We had to get to these cancer centers. Uh, we didn't have transportation. We didn't have lodging. There were so many people that stepped up to go ahead and help us. And that helped us a lot also. We found communication was difficult. You know, we uh, people were all reaching out to us uh, from our work, from our friends, uh, family, and wanting to know what was going on. And so we had a young man that was uh, 17, and this was 17 years ago, and uh, he set up a website for us. And we didn't think kid could do that. <laughs> and so he set up a website for us where Stephanie and, and I could go ahead and put out updates. And then the cards start coming in and the best wishes and all of that helped us. You know, when you try and when you when you talk about hope and the importance of hope in your life, uh, you have to find a motivating reason to live and to move forward and to fight. And the baby was that for my daughter. Uh -huh. But our daughter was that for us. And we had to believe that miracles can happen. Uh, in fact, we never used the word miracle, but our oncologists did. They All talked right. about it at the end. They said, this is a miracle. And, you know, so we were thankful for anything that we could find that was positive. And uh, we found that hope was a way to escape our fear. Oh, and, I like uh, that. I like so, that. Yeah. So we, we, we just stopped reacting and tried to stop reacting. And we started creating a plan to win and we worked our plan. And it was things like finding the right doctors and, and um, uh, doing the things for Stephanie that she liked. My wife was cooking all of her favorite meals. Uh, we were getting her old movies that she loved growing up or as a kid. Uh, the movie She loved the movie Clue. And we got that and, and we would watch that. And we would try and surround ourselves with positive uh, reading and positive music and, and different things just to go ahead and boost our face any way that we could. And laughter, I bet. Yes, yeah, yes. We laugh a lot at each other and we laugh a lot at ourselves and always have. And, and that's right. You have to find the humor in things and uh, because it is such a relief. 
Uh, and then our faith, you know, our faith helped us tremendously. Now, uh, let's, go ahead. I was just going to say, let's fast forward to your life now. And whatever you want to share about that and looking, whether hind, of course, hindsight, but foresight as well. And then tell us about your books. Well, everybody asks, did this uh, impact us? Did it, uh, did it change the way we live? And my daughter and I have had many conversations about that, and, and it, did, it did change all of us. I don't think we take life quite as for granted as we did, uh, and, and that's a real positive thing. Stephanie is back, and she uh, uh, does uh, substitute teaching. She was a teacher when she got the cancer, and she's decided to do some substitute teaching, uh, so that's going well for her. Our grandson has grown up. He's uh, now 17 years old, uh -oh. a senior in high school. Um, he's. Um, Did she have other children as well? No, she was not okay. able to have any okay. other children afterwards because of the chemo and frying her eggs and such. But uh, she, that was her first child. And uh, this young man has grown up and he plays soccer at a um, national level. Um, uh, he's a great athlete. He's a great student. Uh, He's uh, very, very happy. And for a long time, he didn't want to know too much about the story because yeah. he was young. And after um, to, to create the story, my daughter and I sat down for a year. She's got a, an incredible memory and helped me kind of put things in uh -huh. order. And then I wrote the book. And when we were done with it, um, it was a journal to Caden. And my uh, agent and my editor uh, said that I really needed to take a look at changing that from a journal format to a story and so then it took me a number of years to do that once that was finished then my daughter and i went through it uh, as we read it and edited it and did the work on it we cried almost every day with each other but it was a very healing experience mm -hmm. for us and so she did the same thing with my grandson she started reading the book to him a chapter at a oh, time wow. and filling in the backstory and such and uh, there's a lot of life lessons that are in there that I was speaking directly to my grandson about. Uh, and so she would talk about those things. And that's one of the things that he enjoyed the most about it. And then we also realized that uh, because this child uh, was uh, in her womb, that it probably helped her by uh, the pregnancy hormones probably boosted some of the cancer and let it grow faster so we knew something was going on and could take care of it. So he has now turned that into anytime he's in trouble with his mom, he always says, hey, I saved your life. Just you got to remember that I saved your life. <laughs> <laughs> and so we always joke about that. But um, I, I think that now we live our life to the fullest. I think that we don't take each day by for granted. And as a family, we're incredibly close. We talk to my daughter probably two or three times a day. Uh, we get together with them once or twice a week. Uh, we're a very close family, and, and we just uh, don't take that for granted. And we're trying to give back in many ways. Stephanie has done some commercials for the American Cancer Society and has done some talks. I've done some talks for different groups and such to try and share her story. And most recently, I went ahead and uh, put together something called uh, Living uh, Through a Crisis, a guidebook for loved ones. And that's something that you can get on. Uh, it's an ebook. You can get it on either Amazon or, or on um, uh, Barnes and Noble. And it, I was going to put it on my website and just have that as a uh, connection for people and just give it away. But my 
And my publisher talked me into putting it on Amazon because uh, we can Good. do it for 99 cents and that oh, way it'd great. be accessible to anybody that needs it. And it talks about how you create a support team, how you develop a plan, finding the right medical help, uh, your attitude, uh, faith, and things like that. So I hope that's going to be helpful for other people. Absolutely. The original book that we did was a journal for Caden, and then afterwards I went ahead and changed that into a story called Daddy's Girl, A Father, His Daughter, and the Deadly Battle She Won. I had no idea how many people had used the word Daddy's Girl in books, and that's why we had to put the tagline <laughs> on it. So, But if you would Google uh, Michael Schnabel, Daddy's Girl, or if you look on it for in Amazon or Barnes & Noble, you'll find the book. And um, one of the things I'm most proud of uh, is the fact that I'm getting these wonderful stories back from readers on how the yes, book is helping yes, them yes. and how it's helping some of their loved ones. And even the um, even the professional critics, uh, Kirkus Review is one of is the gold standard for reviewing books, and they're known to be tough. And they gave the Daddy's Girl an excellent rating uh, and an excellent review. And so that's just been really exciting as I'm trying to go ahead and make people aware of the story. A story of survival and hope and faith. Would you just give us a summary of what you would like to share about any of that with the audience today? Well, I think what we learned, as I said in the beginning, we didn't know what to do. We formed our little team. But as we went through this journey, so many other people stepped up to help us, mm. family, friends, even strangers, people that we didn't even know wanted to help. And it made all the difference in the world. We've got a crazy world that we live in right now. It's so divisive. It's so black and white. It's uh -huh. so just, it's just uh, crazy. And I think that we need to stop looking at the differences that we each have right. and start taking a look at what we have in common. We all want to live and we all want to be happy. We all want to raise our families and live a, a, a life that is full of fun and joy and happiness. And so I think if we take a look around us, it's not very hard to find people that need our assistance. And whether it be uh, helping them in any way that you can. So that's what I would say to the audience is try to help the others around you. My wife and I, my uh, son-in-law, my daughter, even my grandson, we do reach out to a lot of other people. We do try to help other people where we can and provide support and provide hope and, and that type of thing. And I think that if you keep your eyes open, there are people in your family that need you right now. And even yes. if it's just talking to them, even if it's just hugging them, even if it's accepting them for who they are, right? I think that these are all just really critical things, and we need to stop looking at what's different about each other <laughs> and start looking at what we've got in common. And uh, if we focus on that, it becomes very, very easy to take a look at the other person in their eyes and see that they're one of God's children, too. That was the perfect summary. Oh my goodness. To stop looking at what's different from each other. And what was the second part of that? To take a look at what we've got in common yes. and build on that. Yes. I learned that a long time ago in sales. Uh, I was a salesman for a long time. And people like to talk about themselves. And so talk about, you know, if you've got somebody that you don't get along with or whatever, or a relative that isn't exactly your favorite cup of tea, 
ask them how their kids are. Ask them, <laughs> right. ask them you know, what's good in their right, life. Right. And let them talk about themselves. And all of a sudden, you start building a, a platform that you can go and build a relationship on. Thank you so much, Michael, for being on Never Ever Give Up Hope. Your story is definitely an inspiration and one that is going to live on. And yes, all your links, including the two books, are going to be on your webpage. And I look forward to um, promoting this and to give my listeners an opportunity to connect with you and to share your story. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.